Hey, I'm Steve Gambiel, the lead pastor at Life Church, and I'm so glad we have this time together. It is so important to stir up hope and life and empowerment and equip people to make a difference today. That's what we're all about here at Life Church. So as we listen to today's message, I really hope it impacts you and inspires you to make a difference in your world. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and we'll kick this off by looking at this principle that the Apostle Paul taught, and he asked for this to be brought into the early church in Ephesus, and of course we're talking about it here this afternoon. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, I'm reading from the Message Bible because I love the way the Message Bible brings this scripture to life. It's going to be on the screens behind us. Don't drink too much wine. Everybody said amen. Um, now, I'm going to look a little bit. This is the, I've got a little bit different version here. It says this in my version. It says, drink the spirit of God. I'm, I'm jumping on here. Verse 18, verse 19. Drink the spirit of God. Huge draughts of him. Let me just pause there. How can you drink God's spirit? Question. How can you do that? How can you drink God's spirit? What does that mean? I mean, I mean, what does that look like, drinking God's spirit? You put God in a glass? How do you drink God? How do you drink his spirit? Well, we'll look at this in a minute. It goes on to say this. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. So here we got this analogy Paul's talking about between getting drunk and alcohol, and he's talking about that in the spirit of God, okay? So if you're religious in this house, uh, apologies, but we're about to blast your religious metaphors as we look at this scripture. Because as we look at this and we think about singing hymns of drinking songs, have you ever sang drinking songs? Or are you all too holy for that? Is that just me? See, I grew up not knowing Jesus, so singing drinking songs was how we used to roll on a Friday night. I'd get together with my little gang of guys and we'd start singing. We'd get a case of beer and we'd go, 100 bottles of beer on the wall, 100 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, that's how we'd roll. And usually by the time you go to about 77, you couldn't remember the words to the song. Now, before you judge me, you know this song, don't you? See? That's two people in my first service. You're messing with me now. Yeah, you know it. See, you're like, you're judging me on this drinking song stuff, but we forget if we didn't know this, um, we should know church history that J.S. Bach would take the drinking songs of, of the day that were sung in pubs, and then he brought them into the church. And as he brought them into the church, there were riots breaking out. Unless we forget that, you know, it wasn't that long ago, you couldn't bring drums in church. Or you couldn't do hip-hop or rap music in church because that was thought that it would be unsanctified, you know. And I'm like, here we take these, Paul's trying to teach us to take the common music of the day, the genre of the day, the music genre, and bring it in to the house of God. And then, of course, it goes on to say this, sing songs from your heart to Christ. So we replace the songs about tequila and beer with things that are so much more significant. And I want to talk to people's difficult struggles that often we have through the week and through the month and through life. And in that moment, when you're going through some really tough challenges, and it may not be on a Sunday, but it may be on a Monday, I want you to have the tools of worship up your sleeve. And the tools of worship are taking an old song that you know that means something special to you, and you sing it when you need it the most. And for me, I've got some old ones that I use a time and time again, and I sing those. Because, you know, we are our own worship leader. Amen. 
And you have to take your soul to the place of understanding who Jesus is. So for me, I've replaced those old drinking songs. And when I feel um, that, you know, things are a little bit tough, a little bit difficult, I remember, I don't have time to teach this today, but I remember what the Bible teaches, that we should have a sacrifice of praise. I know that's a little old school. Maybe that's not what most of us think about. But when you don't feel like worshiping God, what that means is you do it when you don't feel like it. And what happens eventually, things change. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of praise referred to bringing in a lamb and slaughtering it before you came into the Holy of Holies. That you literally sacrifice the blood of an animal and then you move forward to then be entered into the throne room of God. And that signifies what Jesus did, that his sacrifice means that we can enter into the very throne room of God. And so for me, I'll often be in a place where I'm thinking, I need God. Does anybody else need God or is that just me? And so I choose a song and I'm out on my own and I start to sing. No other name. Nobody can hear me usually, it's of my own. But the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. Do you have these songs? I don't know what they are for you, but you've got to find them. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. How great, how great is our God. Drum fill, do, 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 and you're in, <laughs> right? That's how I think. But when you're on your own, it's not like that. But I wanted, to, I wanted to, to clarify this because I know we're doing a recording tonight, but worship is not about recording albums. Do you understand that? Worship is about a God-given gift and tool so that you can bring the presence of God into your environment, into your family, and into your atmosphere. And darn it, our songwriters and our musicians, come on, give these guys a round of applause because they're working so hard through the week. And we appreciate all their hard work and everything else that we're doing. But we're doing that with a big why behind it. And the big why behind it is to help equip you. To help, it's not just like, you know, somebody's on an ego trip trying to spin a record. God forbid that we would ever be in that place. If that was the place, we would not be recording. No, our passion is what Charlotte said earlier, that people would be able to take a tool and put it on and be able to experience God. Now, the worship CD on its own or the worship download on its own is not some holy anointed thing. It's just a tool. And it doesn't mean diddly squat unless you use it. But when you take the tool and you engage it, then everything begins to shift. So I wanted to take this thought and look at John chapter 4, and look how this principle unpacks, and I've only got 20 minutes, so pray for me, somebody, that I get through this in 20 minutes. Because in John chapter 4, we see Jesus having a conversation with a woman who did not understand God, didn't understand his purposes, and he peels back layer after layer until finally she reveals how great God is. And the context is in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus, he did this intentionally in a place that's so cool. He did this in a place, a geographical region called Sychar. Sychar, S-Y-C-H-A-R. And that place, that geographical location and place that was in the middle of this evil empire, it, it literally means that the English definition means that it's a place to be filled with intoxicating drink or to be abundantly married. And so here he is opening up this conversation with a woman who went to a well to draw water and he's signifying the difference between what, what, what naturally you can drink that fulfills your thirst 
and what spiritually you can fulfill and drink that fulfills your thirst. And he's talking about this to a woman. And, and we enter into the conversation. Of course, Jesus talks about worship. And I love talking about worship because I know who Jesus is. When you understand who Jesus is, you're not frightened to talk about worship. And can I just say that worship is not feminine? It's not just for the girls. There, there's something that's so deep about worship that, that anchors you as a man of God and gives you steel in your soul and strength for your tomorrow. So I'm saying that just because you think this is some feminized word. And I, no, it's not that. I know he's talking to a woman at the well, but if a strong man can lift his hands and worship Jesus, he's going to get stronger still. Not weaker, but stronger still. Because the truth is our natural strength only goes so far. And so I understand that there's a place when our natural strength finishes. And then we have to find a spiritual stamina for our tomorrows. So here's Jesus, and he's having this conversation when his 12 men and 12 disciples, they ran out of spiritual strength, and they were hungry, and they needed to go and get more sustenance, but not Jesus. Jesus sat down ready to do the will of God, noticed a woman, and then he starts to have a conversation about worship. Let me define what worship is. Worship in our English language literally means worship. It means worthy. That's where the word comes from. The Hebrew definition is used right through the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 4, that's where we first see worship appearing, where men and women begin praying and worshiping in the name of God, and then right through the whole Testament, the Old Testament. Worship has an analogy of serving God, of adoring Him, and that's in the Hebrew culture. And in the Greek culture, the Greeks take that attitude of service and adore, and they even take it to another level, and they talk about Worship in the Greek language means to kiss the ground. That's what it means. And they would use it as a, to kiss the ground when you used to worship an idol. They would, they would make you lie down on the ground and actually kiss the ground, which I'm not going to do now because that's disgusting when people have been jumping around here earlier on. But to kiss the ground. So, so when we look at worship, it, it has this strength attached to it that's so deep. And so in the biblical definition, what I'm trying to say is this. That worship is an attitude that has to be accompanied by an action. You can't say I worship and then not do anything about it. No, worship is an attitude that has an action that relates directly to it, that comes out from it. And I want to look at some of the different actions of worship right through the whole Bible. The first one I want to look at is this, to clap. Psalm 47, verse 1, to clap. And all of these attitudes and actions are what we do publicly when we come together as the people of God. But they're also what we do privately. And I wasn't trained in this when I first accepted Jesus. I was going to a little Methodist church, and I had to dig into the Bible myself and figure this out and, and dig in and have conversations. And then I realized, whatever we do in public, we should feel comfortable to do in private. And whatever we do in private will bring confidence to do things in our public place. So the first one to clap, Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all your nations. And everybody clapped. No, just one clap. Just one clap. Everybody clap. Awesome. Now, clapping is an interesting thing. I, as a percussionist, I studied clapping for a while. You can have different clapping tones. You can clap loud. You can clap soft. Clap your hands, all your, all your nations. This, this word clap literally means to clap so hard that it's a thunderous sound. It's, a, it's not a little golf clap. Clapping your hands, all your nations, refers to a thunderous, mighty sound. And you know, that sound of clapping is, is different when, when you have a whole 
room of people clapping together. That's why we have this thing. If one claps, we all clap. Come on, somebody. One clap, we all clap. One person starts clapping, we all clap. Clap your hands, all your nations. Now, you don't realize that, but in this room, that what just happened is you clapped. We had different ethnicities. We had people from different racial backgrounds. We had different from people's different economic classes. All kinds of people, all kinds of stories. But when it's all together and we clap, and we start to clap in the presence of God, all this sound comes together that gives glory to God. That's what clapping is. Clap your hands, all you nations. Now, like I said, if we're comfortable to do that publicly, we should also be comfortable to do that privately. Clapping privately. I don't know if you've ever been in a place on your own, no one listening, and you're clapping. Thank you, Jesus. I know we clap at sporting events and other things. Let's not, let's not just um, be comfortable clapping in these events. So let's, on your own, and your clap, say, thank you, God. You're good. I know you're going to come through. Jesus, this is what I do in my private place. Usually I try to do this when Charlotte isn't around because they're going to think I'm going crazy. You know, but I do it. I do it in my kitchen. I do it in my bedroom. I do it on a walk because I want to clap because I, I need to start something physically, and I need to respond to how good God is. So clapping is biblical. That leads me to my next phrase. And, and you know, I get caught out by these things sometimes. Sometimes I don't feel like clapping, but I know this. The next one is even more challenging, to shout, to shout, with God, to shout to God with crowds of joy. Psalm 47, verse 2, to shout to God with cries of joy. In another place, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Do you know the word to shout literally means to split your ears open? It literally means to, it's not like, yay, woo. That's not, no, no. Shouting means from the depth of your soul, you shout so loud that it actually splits your brain. That's the shout that the Bible is trying to talk about here. This is, this is so powerful that, and again, have you ever shouted to God with a shout, with a voice of triumph privately? I mean, if you can shout privately when you come together as God's people, it's so much easier to do it publicly. And this sound of our Excel men shout is still in my ears and in my spirit. I don't know if you were at the men's conference last week, but I remember the sound of 2,000 men, just under 2,000 men, shouting praise to God. It was powerful. And you just found yourself being swept up in it. And, and what I've learned is this, that one person's passion helps the next person to discover their passion. When, you know, it's like when one person is shouting, you're like, why are you shouting? Stop shouting. Stop getting all excited and, about Jesus because I'm having a bad week. Have you ever been there? I've been there. And somebody on, behind you or around you, they're shouting and glorifying God, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not ready for that conversation yet. And, and that, that sense of shouting is so important. We have other ones. I'll just move quicker through these. To lift our hands, Psalm 134, verse 2. To lift your hands in the presence of God. To bow or kneel, Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us bow down and worship. Or in Psalm 100, it says, to stand. I like this version in the Message Bible. It says, on your feet now and applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Know this, God is God, and he made us. Isn't that beautiful? So that sense of standing is awesome. So those things are so important for us to understand. And, of course, praise. Praise is a weapon. We'll talk more about that later. So all of these actions should have some kind of application in the believer's life. Now let's move forward and go back to Jesus and the woman at the well. Now in this passage, we find Jesus having a heart-to-heart -heart with this woman. 
And the first thing she talks about is her worry. I want to look at worry versus worship. Let me define this a little bit differently. Worry is something that we can all do. Are you a good worrier? Because I know how to worry. And I've learned this, that worship is worry in reverse. If you can worry, you can worship. If you can worry yourself into a problem by your own fear and by your own worry, you can worship yourself into a place where you understand how great God is. And in a few moments, Jesus took a woman who was worried about her five husbands and the one, the one that she lived with now into a place of worship and into a place of freedom. So the first thing I want to say is this, that worry releases fear. That's what worry does. The more you worry, the more fear grows in your life. I have met people in life that are frightened of a dentist, that are frightened of driving down the road, that are even frightened of waking up in the morning because their worry has taken over their life. But when you turn away from worry and you start to realize that worry is something that we're delivered from, that's when we're free from worry. We're free from all that and we, we replace worry with worship. Things begin to change. So this woman that was full of fear and full of worry, Jesus said to her, he said, you do not have to fear. And she was like, you're a, you're a Jew. We can't, Samaritans and Jew, we, we don't talk together. If someone sees us talking, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in serious trouble. And Jesus began to unpack her worry by talking to her in a way that was so personal. And so Jesus, re, he didn't release fear. He replaced the fear with faith. That's what he did. And that's what worship does. When you worship in the midst of your environment that's not going well, when you worship God, your faith will grow. It will. It will start to grow and you'll start to energize your life by seeing that kick in. Let's move on a little bit differently now. Let's go a little bit deeper. Second thing Jesus taught this woman, and he was, he was going there as she talked about her fears, she realized that she was confining her sense of God, her understanding of God was so religious that she thought she had to go to a specific place or a specific time to worship God. That's what she thought. And Jesus had to help her retrain her life. You see, it's like this. What your worry does is it restrains God. That's what worry does. Worry restrains God. If we could put that up on the screen. Worry restrains God. And this is what it does. If you restrain God, darkness is going to grow. See, in the absence of God, if you restrain him, darkness will grow. Let me show it, show it to you like this. If I can get my two actors out for me. This is how this is going to go. This is, this is Lucas, who is representing the devil. Now, he's really a man of God. He's a good man. Okay, but for a moment, this is what he's going to do. And Paolo is going to represent a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, the more this believer worries, the greater the darkness grows. That's the connection. Now, we have authority in Jesus. We have authority in Christ. You have authority in Christ. But the more we worry, the more we give ground to the devil, and the more the devil has a deeper place in our lives, he gets stronger, he starts to get fear into us, palpitations, heart palpitations, nervous, all these different things, it starts to grow in our life. And this is what he does. So the devil gets stronger as we worry more. You can see how strong he gets. The devil is a prowling lion. He's going after him. Now, all the believer needs to do to take authority over this is to realize that worship restrains the darkness. If Paolo, the believer, begins to worship God, 
God is released and darkness is restrained. It's just that simple. So simple. But this is the image that God gave me. Oh, he's going for it in this service. When you worship God, you take authority over the devil. That's why the Bible says the devil is under our feet. But we forget that because we don't worship God. And so we allow our worry to release darkness. And darkness has free reign to roam in our life, to tempt us, to bring addictions and bad lifestyles and bad habits and all those other things. But the minute the believer begins to worship, the devil is bound again. You got the picture? Come on, give my actors a round of applause. They're doing great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So important. And so when Jesus began to help peel back the layers in this woman at the well, she realized that all of the things she had searched for in life were now going to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. How many things in your life right now are operating out of your control but depressing you or bringing fear into your life or bringing things that would rob you of your inner peace? How many of those things are happening that you can now replace by worship? When you make a conscious choice, I'm not going to worry anymore, I'm going to worship. Every time I feel worry, I'm going to worship. Every time I feel fear come, I'm going to worship. Every time I think about my teenagers, I'm going to worship. Every time I think about my job and my lack of economic status, I'm going to worship. That's what we can do. And if we can engage that, things can change. And then Jesus, of course, he went deeper and he taught this. He taught this to this lady, that worry will focus on Pettiness, pettiness on little issues, on minor issues. John chapter 4, verse 19, when it got difficult in the conversation and Jesus had to help this woman take her mask off and really talk about brass tacks, what was really important, she changes the subject. And she says, well, you know, we can't worship together. And she's changing the subject. She's talking about a petty issue. You know, and, and the more she worries... The deeper this issue grows. And I learned so much from this encounter with Jesus as he talks to this lady. And I realized in life that we need to stop focusing on distractions. And here she is. The deeper the distractions go, the more depressed that she gets. What does Jesus do? Jesus focuses on greatness. And he changes the table and he starts to talk to her about what really is great. And he talks about this. He talks about worship. He says, you worship what you don't know. In other words, an idol that can't speak or can't talk. You worship what you don't know. But we as Christians, we worship what we do know. And, of course, he's revealing this. Jesus Christ is revealing for us the worship to come. And then he goes on to say there's a time that's going to come when we can worship in spirit and in truth. Our worship in spirit where we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we can pray in tongues, where we can pray in the Spirit, that is absolutely essential to the life of a believer. It doesn't mean we're not going to go to heaven because Jesus saves us, but if we don't have that empowering of the Spirit to be able to deal with different challenges, I really think that we live a life less than what God has for us. It's more difficult to deal with some of the challenges that we face in life. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, she said, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. Worship is a great idea. It's a great idea that, meets, that needs more discussion. Worship is so deep. Why is it that in worship sometimes people can just get healed supernaturally in the worship? Why is it in worship that 
Sometimes different people just begin to cry in the presence of God. Why is that? Why is it in the worship that an enemy will often bring distractions in worship? You know, the devil was a worship leader in heaven. Did you know that? Lucifer was a worship angel. That's why it says in Isaiah 14 that in his worship, he tried to be like God. He tried to take the ego. He tried to take the pride. And he showed how shallow that is. And so in that sense of worship, we realize that our own life has a sense of humility about it. Our own life, we should humble ourselves. Every time we worship God, we humble ourselves and we glorify Jesus. And it's so powerful. And I I just, you know, it's so difficult to describe what worship is like. I remember last week, we just finished um, the men's conference, Excel, and I was leaving and people were cleaning up. And um, in one of the rooms, one of the teams had just been looking after all the, all the men, 2,000 men, and they were tired, and all the rest of it was, you know, it was about midnight, and people were there, and instead of people feeling exhausted, what I was drawn to was the sound of singing. And I went into one of the rooms, and there was about six people, and they were cleaning up, but as they were cleaning up, they were harmonizing, and they were singing worship songs to God. And they had a praise party at midnight in one of the rooms behind the campus. And I was like drawn to it. I couldn't leave. I entered into the session. I entered into just being around the presence of God, just drawn to it. Why? Because worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday. Worship is a way of life. Worship refuels you. It releases the power of God, even when you're tired. And I'm drawn to that. So I've got to wrap up because time's gone. But I'm just going to finish with one, one more thought. The band can come up because I, I'm going to finish in a minute. What worry does And this is what happened to this woman. After Jesus shared all this great stuff with this woman, she's so much in fear. Still, after all these conversations, all these different things he'd said, and she's like, I don't get it. And and what I realized in verse 35 is just simply this, that people around her were saying there was so much need, we need a harvest. We 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 need people to find Jesus. There's so much hurting going on in our society today. What I realized is that worry amplifies bad news and negativity. That's what worry does. And we are designed as a culture to look at news on television, but I would probably say between 80 to 95% of our news that we see on TV is negative news. It's news about things that are happening around the world that are difficult to deal with. And what happens is that gets into our soul and into our spirit. And what Jesus is trying to teach us in this scripture is just simply this, that we don't have to fear bad news, and we need to focus on this. We need to focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. And here with this woman, the final thing she says, the final thing she realizes in the encounter with Jesus is she says this, I know that you are now the Christ. I mean, that's amazing that a woman with six husbands finally understood that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. And as she understood that, she went back to the village she came from, where people knew her heartbreak. They knew her broken relationships. They knew all of her mistakes. And she said, come and see a man who told me all of the things that I did that were wrong and forgave me of everything I ever did. And she was so passionate, so honest, so integrous. Her mask was off that she wasn't afraid to talk about the things that went wrong. She talked about him, she named him. And then it says the entire village turned out to hear Jesus. 
And when they heard Jesus, they came out and they said this, we no longer believe because of what the woman said. Now we have heard for ourselves and now we know that this man Jesus really is the savior of the world. I mean, the more we understand this about who Jesus is, the more we understand that we're not called to worry, we're called to worship. We're called to worship on a Monday. We're called to worship on the way to work. The deeper we go in that, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a hunger in the people around us. That's why we're going to talk about Christmas and praying to Christmas events, because the link between worship and evangelism is so deep. Hey, that's all we have time for now. And as we draw our time together to a close, our prayer and our confidence rests in God, that God is with you. So as you move forward into your week and month ahead, we know that you're going to go on to make a greater difference in your world. Christmas at Life Church. This December will be one to remember, full of wonderful and spectacular moments to help you invite and include your family and friends. We have our amazing Love Your Neighbor Day. In our kids' building, we have Beauty and the Beast. This is a show for the kids and the family. We also have the amazing Christmas Spectacular. This is gonna be a show for the family where we're gonna explain what Christmas really means. We also have the incredible carol service happening on Christmas Eve. So many great opportunities to celebrate Jesus and welcome your friends and family to Christmas at Life Church. 